Welcome to Step Into the Story. Incredible conversations of how the Bible changes lives, changes families, and changes communities across the globe. And here's your host, Phil Tuttle of Walk Through the Bible. Well, welcome to Step Into the Story. You know, every time that we gather together, we have a conversation with an interesting person. And it's a person whose story at some point was intersected by God's story. We explore that connection. How did it take place? What's been the result of it? At Walk Through the Bible, we are fully convinced that God's Word changes everything. There's been so many studies done that show that that consistent connection with God and His Word is the single greatest predictor of lasting life change. And so we're going to be exploring that today in in the life of a guy who's been a friend of mine for a long time. His name is Sid Webb, and he hails from Colorado Springs, Colorado. Sid, welcome to Step Into the Story. Hey, Phil. Thank you so much. I'm really pleased to be talking with you now, but I'm I'm concerned about you. Um, you're you're right out there where the wildfires are are burning. It's California, it's Oregon, it's Washington, but it's also hard in in Colorado. What are you seeing out of your window today? Well, when I'm looking out my window, I see Black Forest where we had the wildfire, and there's a haze over the community because of the wildfires that are going on right now. We have them in northern Colorado and then obviously further west, and the winds are bringing the smoke today. We have strong north winds. Uh, So it's windy, and it's affecting my breathing a little bit. So that's what's going on now. Wow. So, you know, when we see that on the news and you can see a diagram and hear how many acres are affected, but but to actually talk to somebody whose whose life is being affected with that. Um, Sid, this has got to be like seeing a movie you didn't enjoy the first time. And now, you know, you're looking at the previews of it possibly being aired a second time. Tell us about what happened um, to you and your family back in June of 2013. Yeah, I appreciate the question. Well, we had uh, the worst wildfire in Colorado history in 2012, the Waldo Canyon fire, which was really dramatic. Uh, It came over the ridgeline into Colorado Springs at night, so it made for great television, but also it obliterated over 300 homes. Uh, So I thought it'd be a good Boy Scout and put an evacuation list on my phone in case I ever had a fire. Well, the following summer, uh, on a day we didn't expect, it was a beautiful morning, but a fire broke out in our neighborhood, basically a black forest. And by the time my wife and I were able to get there, we could see all the smoke on the hill, knew the house was somewhere under there, but the police would not let us go any further. So we basically drove out of our life that morning at eight in the morning. Uh, and that was it. And what's relevant is everything that I valued. I had moved out from Georgia. All of it was in one place. And, you know, my office as well as my home, they were all together, tax records, all my research, my doctorate. I mean, you name it, anything that I valued was in that house. So all of a sudden, you're seeing the smoke, and you get to the spot, and they're like, uh, you can't go any further. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, it, it was just instant. It was amazing. There was no lead-up to it. We didn't evacuate anything, which is a blessing I'd like to talk about in a minute. Uh, it just happened. So that was June 11th, 2013, if I'm remembering right. And, right. Um, you know, when... It's. I've had this similar conversation, not related to wildfires, but different fires. And um, sometimes people will hear, well, we lost everything. And then you clarify and you go, no, you're, you know, your wife and your kids and you, you, you got out alive. So 
when you say you lost everything, you really mean you lost everything. And yes. we know people are more valuable than things. And it's, I think it's really easy for those of us who haven't had an experience like that to go, well, what mattered most you got out with, and I'm sure you would agree with that, but talk to us about, I mean, give us a feeling for what was it like when you were allowed in and got to see your home? I mean, what condition was it in when you finally were allowed in? Yeah, so this is a, a bit of a trail, really, because, uh, yeah, I, and by the way, on your point, uh, I'd rather have a fire than hear the cliches, just FYI, for any of you out there, just hold the cliches, please. Nobody's asking for them. No uh, kidding. But, yeah, uh, and I wrote a book, which I can tell about later, but uh, I talk about what to say and what to do for someone that's gone through disaster, and I address that issue. Yeah, so... Um, we were out that day, and like I say, you know, we're looking at the, the smoke on the hill, and I'm trying to keep my situational awareness, and I realize people are escaping the community, and also people are coming up the hill to come into the community uh, to see their house, you know, what's going on, and so I felt like we could be trapped, because we had winds gusting at 50 miles an hour. I could see the smoke in front of me, and it was moving, and it was angry, and I thought, we're going to get trapped, so we left and went to another spot to look at it from a distance. And then I told my wife, I'm seriously, I was like, we've got to go to Walmart. She's like, what are you crazy? And I'm like, no, think about it. We have nothing. I mean, all we had was a clothes on our back and our car. And, uh, you know, we knew we were in for a long ride, but you just don't know at that point in time. You don't know the specific condition of your house. Uh, and then I have a friend that went to Dallas Seminary, and they're good friends of ours. And he said, you know, come on over and make our house your home. And we got there, and he said, I've seen your home on TV. And I was like, you're crazy. It's like, no, take a look at this. And sure enough. Uh, the, the fire started down the hill from the, down the ravine from our house. It went up and got our house very quickly. It was captured by a television helicopter and we watched it burn on the news for the next two years. They oh, showed it man. over and over and over. I did not so, know that. Yeah. I mean, it was a gift that kept on giving. I was working at a, working out at a gym one night and I'm looking up the TV and there it is burning again, uh, you know, for 10 loving seconds. And I'm like, Will this ever end? I mean, you know, it's just constantly forced uh, upon us. And people from around the country saw it. And so we kind of became the poster children for the Black Forest wildfire. Uh, it ended up being the worst in Colorado history because it knocked out about 500 homes, uh, not in terms of acreage, but in terms of homes destroyed. So we knew it. our house had caught fire and it didn't look good. But because the fire was so hot, it went through several times. Uh, we couldn't get to the neighborhood for a week and then um, only under police escort for a few hours just to see the damage, not to dig in the ash. And when we got there, you cannot believe the devastation. The fire burned between 2,500 and 3,000 degrees. Like my mountain bike was totally vaporized. Uh, I was told my books would survive. They were all turned to powder. So <laughs> it was kind of like all those books we bought at Dallas Seminary and, you know, here they go. They're gone. They're powder. It was an incredible story about what really matters in life. So, I mean, you literally were sifting through the ashes, right? Yeah. I mean, you you want to recover whatever you can. Um, I know you've you found a few things in there. What what was most precious to you of what you were able to salvage? Well, the, uh, most everything was burned to powder but if it was porcelain like a mug it would survive it'd be 
you know, cracked and everything else. So things like porcelain or heat-treated metal, they might survive, but they would be mangled. But I found my dad's dog tags. So I've got those in my office. Uh, you know, a couple of things like that. The mug he got in Vietnam from his unit, it was cracked, but I restored it to as best I could. So there were a few things like that. But the process of sifting through the ash uh, can take a long, long time and doesn't yield an awful lot of stuff. And at some point in time, you have to say, uh, I'm finished with this. I'm going to have to close this door in my life and move on. So it's like kind of like a funeral. I mean, it's basically I'm saying goodbye and I'm walking away. And it's, it's an interesting experience to do that. And I made that commitment to do it. Uh, there was one item I was looking for. And it was like, God, I don't want to be an idol about, you know, make an idol out of it. But it would be really cool if I could find this. It was a Starbucks mug. I'm a Starbucks fan, but it was a special mug I'd used, you know, for years. I was like, you know, can I just have that? Well, I could never find it. And I committed to quit digging in the ash. But one day my mother was called me on the phone and she was like, any chance you could find dad's class ring? And I said, I know it melted, but I'll look for it. And I went back and I turned around and on a pile of ash behind me that I'd been by a million times was that mug. Wow. And I had several stories like that that were supernatural in nature. That is... And, and it's just hard to picture what that had to be like. I mean, you've, you're doing a yeah. great job painting the picture with words, but it's it's hard to feel the emotions if we haven't actually lived that. I just that's just yeah. stunning to me what that must have been like. I remember a conversation you and I had a while after that, when you know we talked about the practical things. Is do you have insurance? Is there is there money coming in? You know, you're going to rebuild and. Sid, I don't even know if you remember this or not, but but you you said, and I'm sure I don't have your words right, but you said something to the effect of, yeah, of course we're going to rebuild, but we don't want to rebuild our life just like it was before. That's not our goal. Um, talk about that some. Do you remember that that conversation or those thoughts even <clears throat> more important that you were having? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, and if I can add also about the ash, uh, the whole event had major spiritual overtones, including, let me go ahead and throw this in here and you guys can edit it out if you want. But I had a spiritual attack one day when I was by myself digging in the ash where I basically felt Satan said, look what God has done to you. Mm. And that was a very sensitive question for me in my life for various reasons. And so I just stopped and I thought, um, is that really the case? You know, has God done this? I mean, is he, like mad at me and punishing me. And I got thinking about it and I thought, no, you know, fire is your destiny, Satan. It's not mine. This is what you're going to have for eternity. So I hope you've enjoyed it. But I, I literally stood there and looked at the ash and said, when I think about it, God has provided for me every day of my life, just like he promised to. And every day he's given me exactly what I needed for that day. And even standing in the ash, I have what I need for today. So why would I be upset with God? Because he's done what he said he would do. He would provide. So, hmm. so it's, you know, stuff like that. I mean, you know, normally you're not going to have that kind of experience. And what it did was made me realize where my faith was strong and where it was weak. And uh, that was really interesting. One of the hardest um, books for me to read is Job in the Bible. I mean, I, I know it's scripture. I know there's wisdom there. Um, I'm guessing that you can relate more to Job 
because of this experience than the average person. I mean, even even that spiritual attack that you were just talking about, I mean, that that was the accusation that came to Job, even his good friend saying, man, you must have done something really terrible for God to be this ticked off at you. Um, I, I mean, you're, you're walking a path that's been worn by a lot of people through the ages. So as unique as that experience was, that kind of attack, um, it's, it's actually pretty common out there among those of us who are listening to you right now. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Well, that's why when I speak about it now, I've reformulated it a bit because what I t- call it now is we've all been burned because you're probably not going to have a wildfire like that, I hope, <laughs> but uh, you're going to have something in your life. And so you're going to have to be able to really relate to what's going on. And that's what I want to try to address is helping people to walk through that. Hmm. So go back the to what, the walkthrough name. Go back to what I asked you a couple of minutes ago about your decision of, of course, we've got to rebuild our lives. You know, honey, we need to go by Walmart for first stop, but um, but not like we had it before. What what were some of the specific differences that you decided going forward that you wanted to be different in the life that you rebuilt? Yeah. You know, we had lived a life where you had the big suburban home in Atlanta, and we had all that stuff, you know, where you buy too much stuff because you have to fill the house and, you know, and all that. And I love my lawnmower, but I had to sell it, you know, those kind of things. And we had done the downsizing thing progressively. After the fire, I told my wife, I know you wanted to downsize, but this much? I mean, really. Uh, But we talked about it. Like, you know, we're going to have to make decisions now about what we're going to do with our life, how we're going to live it, and everything else. And we decided to going to be lean and mean and agile and hostile and not buy a lot of stuff, only buy it when we need it, and generally to replace stuff rather than buying just a bunch of new stuff, and to focus more on mission. And the mission's focus uh, has been absolutely incredible. And what God's done with that is just staggering. I can't believe it. Uh, but it, really, a couple months after the fire, I went on an extended mission trip to Asia. And I have a killer story, if I could tell you right now. Go for it. Uh, about that. Yeah. So went all over Asia to see what God was doing with indigenous missions work. And we were meeting locals, you know, in a lot of remote places and some of them places that the government didn't really want us to be in probably. And so in the middle of the trip was a two day hiatus before we geared up to go another place. And I was meeting my host in Hong Kong and was going to spend a couple of days sightseeing in Hong Kong. And so like the day before he said, what would you think about just running up to China instead of being here in Hong Kong? And I'm like, yeah, I'd love it. Let's do it. So we went up to a city in China, and I had a chance to see several different forms of church that may not even exist right now, but I went to a church building. I did an impromptu Sunday school teacher training thing. Uh, we did a baptism, and then that evening I went to a Bible study at an apartment complex. And so I was with all these believers, and they were doing Bible study kind of the same way we do. It was, it was really fun. And then I ended up praying for God to bless China, and they prayed for God to bless the United States. Well, I had taken all the pictures from the fire because we had all the TV evidence and everything else, and I did a presentation for them that night, just kind of an informal presentation on, hey, here was my fire story. This is how God used it. And they said it was a divine appointment that you came to us tonight because God wanted us to hear your story. Well, I flew out the next day, and I left that city, which was Wuhan, China. Oh, my. And so what have I been thinking this year? It's like I've been thinking, I wonder if any of them 
were benefited by my story. If it helped them, are they alive? I don't know. We tried to communicate, but it failed. But uh, afterwards, but you just never know. And I, I was able to speak to a college in Sri Lanka, and I showed the pictures from the fire, and they were like, "Can we have these pictures? This is amazing." So you know, I've just seen how God's used it, and it's been an incredible blessing. Hmm. I mean, you have always been like a person of the book. I mean, you were an instructor for Walk Through the Bible for long, long time, super effective, super effective Bible teacher. But what are there specific passages or, or just one or two that God used in your lives as a family, you know, as, as you work through this trial? Did, how did God meet you in a fresh way through Scripture? Well, one of the biggest is the passage that I refer to quite a bit. And as theological as we tend to get, you know, and all those kind of things, it's funny how so often we come back to some fundamental passages that God has to keep working on with us. And, you know, you look at Matthew 6 and you think about how God will provide every day what your needs are. Sufficient unto the day is the, you know, the evil thereof. You know, basically deal with this day and and worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow, God will take care of you. So obviously that became a very living, breathing passage in my life. Um, and, and I do, I love the word of God. I mean, if we would only get into it, like we're supposed to, it's incredible. I mean, you can feel it's like radioactive when you're in it, you know, and it's amazing. Uh, but it was kind of funny because my Bible study program for that year had me going through the entire Bible. And at the time of the fire, I happened to be in Ezekiel. Well, you don't know how many times the word fire occurs in the Bible. So you go through a fire and I, I, I literally said to God, God, I uh, I don't want to offend you, but sir, I hope you don't mind. I've got to get out of Ezekiel. I've had enough destruction for the time being. And so I went to the psalm. And uh, Psalm 30, for example, verse 11, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. I mean, what goes with sackcloth? Ashes. Ashes, yeah. That my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. Oh, my Lord God, I will give thanks to you forever. And I look at that, and it's like, that's my standard. Am I praising God like I'm supposed to, even though it's tough right now? I mean, one of the things walk through as ministry, and I think about 130 countries and 10 different offices outside the United States, regional directors. And it's been so interesting during COVID because there's a, there's a closer bond with our global team than I've ever seen before because everybody's in it together. And and specifically, they're like, okay, the U.S. is finally discovering what it's like at least a little bit to suffer. And, oh, you can't go to your big fancy church buildings now? Um, that's kind of how we deal every day here in Iran, you know, meeting and hiding in homes. And the story that you were telling, I sure didn't know the Wuhan connection, but the story about China, that's so true that it is that common bond. There's a leveling that comes from suffering. And we all start asking the same questions. And God is never afraid of our questions. He just goes, be open with your questions. Just be equally open to my answers. And mm-hmm. that, I mean, the example that you gave of that one trip, um, I don't know how much you see it, but as an outsider watching your life, I think that has taken your life a very different direction in terms of your ministry um, because you went through that experience. Um, can you can you put some of that into words for us? Yeah, it's 
changed it uh, in in so many ways. I mean, it's I'm I'm me, but I'm a new me. I'm a different me. I'm a better me. Uh, I hate to say stronger because stronger can be a little egotistic. I don't know if I'm stronger or not. But what I've had people say is, you're like the poster child for resiliency. And like you said, I'm definitely more empathetic. I'm deeper, uh, bigger heart for what people are suffering. And 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 there was a day that December when I was in the line for the care and share food bank. And I thought, you know, the people around me, they may be Wiccans in Colorado Springs. They may be pagans. They may be strong believers, whatever they are, but it doesn't matter. We're all in this together. And that's what I saw was the community has to come together. And if we're just in our little cloistered churches, we're not going to reach people with the gospel because we're always around those who are like us. So a part of this like I've done a lot of TV stuff uh, as a result of this, you know, work with our TV uh, personalities and, you know, we've done stories and everything else. And that's led to even other stories that they've done. And what it did also was engage me more with the world of saying, you know, it's not easy for us right now, but I want to come alongside those who are running from the flames of life and help them to make it. And that's a new twist for me. Not that I wasn't that way before, but it's just new now. It's different. Mm. Um, and I was in Sudan on a, a trip to see what the government was doing to the believers there. And one of the places we went to, and, and this is in the middle of nowhere, but we went to a town that had been bombed out and burned out by the government. And the, the people were gone. They were refugees instantly. And I thought, you know, I'm one of the few Americans who can actually relate to that, to where instantly you've lost everything. Exactly. Um, yeah. It's not as bad as what they've been through, but that's what I felt. Um, it's like, you know, I have a new appreciation for the people that are our brothers and sisters in the field. Second mm-hmm. Corinthians 1 talks about that in the same way that we've received comfort, we're then able to comfort others. And and there's no question, like, you're right, it may not be the same as a genocide. And yes, your family got out alive, but just experience that, that loss and trauma. Um, you know, so interesting, when Jesus saw the multitude before he taught them, it says, he was filled with compassion, and and um, there's no question he's sensitized your heart to sync it more up with his, and uh, that's I I just think it's just starting what God's going to do. I I'm sure right now brings back memories as you watch you know another round of of fires. What what would you say to um, not only people who's homes may be threatened by this current round of wildfires. But um, like you say, the question is when you've been burned. I mean, it, it can be a relationship, a marriage ending that you didn't want to end. It can be an illness of a child where they don't get better. It can be the, the loss of a job, as is happening so much in, in this recession. But what would you say to people? Uh, I know, like you said, the cliches hurt worse than the fire itself. I know that you're one of those people that's not going to talk in cliches that look great hanging on a wall, but ring hollow in the dark night of the soul. What would you say to people right now who are going, I don't, I don't even know if there is a God based on what I'm going through right now. What would you say? Yeah, a couple of things. I made a website uh, called buildwhatcounts.com, and I've got pictures from the fire. It's a companion to the book that I wrote. But on that website is a page I did for skeptics, and it's very respectful. Like, if you're a skeptic, I highly respect you. Uh, I love you. I'm not uh, trying to make fun of you. I know you're trying to think these things through. 
But um, I would say, I, I draw from the life of Job. I don't know if there's a lot of people that would preach it this way, but my take from Job is God gave Job the space to be able to bark. But at the end, of course, God didn't give him the answer, but he allowed him to bark about it. And what I would say to people is, bark, go ahead and do that, you know, get it out, but don't leave it there. At some point in time, you're going to have to turn a corner and you're going to have to say, I'm committing to go in a certain direction. And and basically to sum it all up is you've got to be able to tell God, I'm still in the game. I'm still in the game. I'm going to cry. It's going to hurt. And I'm going to let you know that God, I think God wants our honesty. Uh, Be honest with him, but finish up with saying, all of that being said, God, I'm still in the game with you, and I'm not giving up, and I'm not letting go, and you got me. You know, I'm, you're stuck with me. So that's what I would say. Good word. Sid, so if people wanted to find more of your story or, or um, maybe even connect with you more, what's the easiest way for them to do that? Well, I think if they would go to buildwhatcounts.com, uh, I've got a lot of information there. Recently, I did a Facebook Live on the anniversary of the fire, and I'm going to try to put that video actually on that website, and that website will tell you how to contact me directly. And I'd be glad to speak uh, for people. I've done webinars, spoken in churches, so and I just want to be able to bless the body. Hmm. Well, Sid, thank you so much for sharing your story. I feel, at first, I felt a little bit bad contacting you and then finding out that, you know, it, it may be that you're home is threatened again. And I'm like, is this going to churn all that up? But it's in the reliving it, but not staying in the past, but but the lessons that you are still present tense learning, that the power of your story comes through. And so thank you for sharing with us today. Um, and um, man, we'll be, we'll be praying for you and, and the communities, but I just pray that God would give you even broader and broader opportunities because the message you're sharing it isn't shared by a lot of people. We're exporting so much of this nonsense that if you're in a relationship with God, you'll never struggle, you'll never hurt. And well, then what happens when the crisis comes? And uh, you're on the other side of it, and there's an authenticity there that's just tragically rare today. So, Sid, thank you for sharing your story with us. Thanks, Phil. Appreciate it. Well, that's what we try to do every time we get together is to let somebody open up about what they are in the process of learning, sharing their story. Sometimes it's great things. Sometimes it's terribly difficult trials. We heard that story today as Sid recounted his experience. And wherever you are right now, you know, whatever you're going through, uh, the way Sid talked about it's in God's word that there are answers there. And you may not even know it's a big book. Where do you even open it? That's why our ministry, Walk Through the Bible, exists. We would love to help you along that journey. Um, I'm available. You can contact me at phil at walkthrough.org. And walkthrough is W-A-L-K-T-H-R-U.org. Phil at walkthrough.org. We're here to serve you any way that we can. But that's what Step Into the Story is all about, where God's story intersects our story. And we find the answers to the, to the problems and the hurts and the trauma of life, someplace where there's reliable answers, and that's found in this book called The Bible. So thank you very much, friends. We'll see you next time on Step Into the Story. Thank you for joining us for the Step Into the Story podcast, powered by Walk Through the Bible. 
We'd love to hear what you think by giving us a review on iTunes or Google Play. Also, don't miss a single episode by clicking the subscribe button. If you'd like more resources to help you explore and live God's Word in your daily life, visit walkthrough.org. That's W-A-L-K-T-H-R-U dot O-R-G. Walk through the Bible. Take a walk. Change the world.